when Jesus uses money in his teaching, he's referencing something in us that we wouldn't have to force ourselves to desire. And that were we to uncover the gospel, the kingdom of God, in its true essence, we would not need to force ourselves to drum up enthusiasm. Welcome to the Become Good Soil podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Snyder. For better, for worse, for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health, we've been in this together. But in 14 years, we've not sat together here in the studio. So welcome to my lovely wife, Sherry. Thank you, buddy. 15 years. (laughs) Or 15 years. (laughs) It's been so rich, it feels like yesterday that we just started this thing. Why can't I count? I'm glad to have you here. I just couldn't resist. Thank you. Thank I you. thought about resisting and I felt like, it's, no, it's actually really delightful to great, chime in. It's the great risk of living a shared life, right? It's exposure, of yes. increasing exposure. Yes. One of my favorite things is to pop home in the middle of the day and catch you in your unseen world. You know, we use the term the hidden years a lot for this decade of excavation and decade of becoming good soil. And much of the glory of your life is hidden and you've chosen that path. It's been so admirable. And I'm sure like many wives and many people, so much of the beauty of what we're saying yes to and giving our consent to, it happens in the hidden spaces in the unseen. But Cher, I love popping home and catching you with your headphones on and your iPhone cruising around the house listening to either the scriptures or whatever book you're feasting on in the audiobook. And you just always have a lighter step. And I am so grateful that in our marriage, we get the privilege of learning with each other and learning from each other. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's rare. Yet it's more available for us and for many than I think we've been led to believe to be students together. Yes. So I've noticed something recently, some renewed vigor, some excitement, some movement in your life, particularly with God. I'd love to explore that for a few minutes and mm-hmm. tell me more. What's mm-hmm. been going on below the surface? Mm-hmm. Yes, Morgan, outwardly, I love that picture. I've noticed that my steps are lighter. Mm. In fact, for years, I've had a couple of aprons, none of which I've worn very often. But I've discovered that I can put my iPhone in one of the pockets of my apron when I'm wearing my (laughs) yoga pants, (laughs) which are pocketless. And then I can put my earbuds in my ears and romp around the house laundry, cooking, unloading the dishwasher. And God and I are enjoying listening together. And I've been starting to call Dallas Willard Uncle Dallas with that idea of our uncles and our aunts participate in our becoming. And so he's becoming an uncle to me. So I've been spending a lot of time with him in particular. But Morg, I would say that part of the excitement is I feel that God just very gently brought me to that crazy thing that Jesus says in Matthew thirteen forty four, and I'm substituting the pronoun mm. of she, Yeah, where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a woman found it, 
she hid it again, and then in her joy went and sold all that she had and bought that field. Even the practice of changing the pronoun personally for me to she just invigorated that parable for me. I felt included. In fact, I felt suddenly that I was cast in that story and in that parable, that I was she who was searching for treasure in a field. And I was she who, when I found it, it would be such that compelled by joy that I would go and sell everything I had that I might possess it. And so the question came to me, is that my experience of the gospel? Is my experience of the gospel one of spontaneous, unforced action response that I would sell everything, that the treasure that I had discovered was so worthy to me, so inestimable in its worth, that it would be compelled by joy to sell everything. And my honest assessment was, no, there was a reluctance to me in the face of the gospel. There was something in me that wasn't thoroughly convinced that it was worth selling everything for. And I felt the invitation of the Holy Spirit to say, come, dig deeper, dig further, excavate more, that you might encounter something that in its essence would be so compelling to you, that you would be compelled by joy to possess it, spending everything it took in order to possess it. In fact, Dallas says something as an aside. He says that so often Jesus uses a reference to money when teaching in the Gospels because he knew the human heart And he knew that money is something that we can understand as that which we need not force ourselves to desire. If someone were to say to me today, Sherry, may I just give you a million dollars or would you like a million dollars? I wouldn't have to force myself to say yes. So when Jesus uses money in his teaching, he's referencing something in us that we wouldn't have to force ourselves to desire and that were we to uncover the gospel, the kingdom of God in its true essence, we would not need to force ourselves to drum up enthusiasm, to desire it, for we would see it as it is and we would be compelled reflexively to desire it. So I feel like I've just been on this happy hunt with God to uncover the gospel again for me and then for those I love. I'm really enjoying the hunt. Boy, Cher, that's beautiful. And it is compelling. It is attractive. I feel that attraction in my soul. And I think where I go with that is what is it that you are uncovering Mm -hmm. that has been so compelling for you? Morgan, I can even feel like my face hurts smiling around what I've been uncovering. And, And I have to give context to this is that in my habitual nature for most of my life. I have been the kind of person who carries a lot of dread, melancholy, regret, heaviness in my spirit. So I'm not one whose natural bent has been to a levity or just a sustained energy of enthusiasm. So when I say that my face hurts from smiling, mm, that's the fruit of a transformed person. That isn't Mm. just by virtue of temperament. So what has been habitual in my body is heavier regret, sorrow, dread, despair. It bears mentioning because it it will help frame the fruit. 
So I would say the most exciting thing that I have been uncovering recently, or shall I say that which has been particularly exciting to me recently, is this idea of the life of God. So I felt like the first part of the gospel, as I've been searching afresh, and Morgan, to be honest, my posture has been I've just put everything that I've assumed the gospel is on the table. It's like all the treasure that I've already had, I've been putting on the table, and I've been picking up one piece at a time and measuring it, and then I've been saying, okay, what's lacking here, or what is there more treasure of that I need to go searching to add in this particular category? And I would say for me, it's the category of the life of God that is just enthralling me right now. And it's this idea that this pre-existing, unending life of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together in this community of magnificent beings. Actually, one of my practices is I imagine their life together. Sometimes it's a picture where I'll just spend some time meditating with this question, oh, Trinity, holy and happy Trinity, what are you up to today? What is your life like today? And sometimes the practice will be to just let my imagination run with that and ask God to paint something for me. For example, I will imagine the life of God, the community of the Trinity, enjoying galaxies, the presence and the action of galaxies far, far away. No allusion to Star Wars intended, but <laughs> it sure it's timely, isn't it? That was pretty well. That was. That was it's true. It's true. Placement. It's like it's just I'm enthralled to think about the bigness of their life and this idea that they have privy to pockets of the universe that we haven't even fathomed and that maybe as much joy as I have from just catching a glimpse of the light dawning on the front range, so enthralled might they be in aspects of the galaxy that has never crossed my mind even exists. So I'll imagine their delight in the universe in far reaches of it. Or maybe I'll imagine an interaction between them. For example, we went skiing the other weekend. And as we were praying on our drive, right as the sun was rising, I just had this image of the Trinity skiing together. In fact, it was a delightful image. It was an image of Jesus' Father and Holy Spirit all skiing. And then Holy Spirit was kind of lagging behind, and then all of a sudden, Holy Spirit, like, zoomed ahead and totally snowed the Father and the Son, and then, mm -hmm. like, just outraced them, and the Father and the Son were just cracking up. Now, I want to explain that that's just a practice for me. Obviously, there's this sense, as we return to the Scripture, of a joy that the Holy Spirit and Father and Son have together, this incredible conversation that we have recorded in the Gospel of John when Jesus and his followers were gathered together, his apprentices, his disciples, were gathered together in what we call the upper room on the eve of his death. We have Jesus references this life of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He references their life and he suggests this element of joy. In John 17, he says, I'm telling you this, my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete, that there is this association of joy, of pervasive well-being that is attached to the Trinity that we have in the text. Additionally, though, there's, of course, a sobriety of the life of the Trinity. So my practice is to let my imagination play 
with imagining the life of the Trinity, but to balance that as well. For example, lately I've been listening to First John a couple times through, and it's so cool because in the letter of First John, John is referencing that our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. He uses the word fellowship, that we actually fellowship with the life of the Trinity. So I balance my practices of imagination and meditation with a true kind of exploration and massaging out of the text with the Holy Spirit as my teacher so that I don't get too wacky. I confess that maybe some of those imaginations are kind of wild, but I'm inclined to balance those kind of practices with the practice of really submersing myself in the scripture as well. And I'm loving it. I am just absolutely Mm. loving it. So this action of God to include us in the life of the Trinity, that my life has been included into the community of the Trinity. Morgan, it's bordering on that kind of treasure. I'm beginning to see it as so invaluable, so ostensibly incredibly amazing that I would want to sell everything, not because I'm forced to, but because I never heard of anything better than to be included in the life of God. And I'm realizing that for so long, I had such an impoverished view of the life of God, that to be included in the life of God wasn't all that attractive, not necessarily to my head, but to my whole person. And so I'm so happy that God has sent me digging to uncover more of the life of the Trinity, that the invitation to be included in it would become that much more attractive. Hmm. Sure, as I listen, just let my soul receive it. And as we come closer to a close for this time, what I feel kind of bubbling up is this question of, as you have feasted on this treasure— of exploring and coming to know in an intimate heart way the life of God more deeply than you ever have. It does go back to the first verse that you brought us into this conversation on where you said it compels you to sell everything. Mm -hmm. But where my heart goes, my soul is selling everything is a great cost in a real practical sense. What does it cause you to do? Or in other words, what is at stake? Mm -hmm. What is it that God is asking you to sell that feels impossible Mm -hmm. to relinquish unless you come to knowing this deeper revelation Mm -hmm. of the life of God? Mm -hmm. What an insightful question, Morgan. And my answer, I think, is, is at least twofold. The first is, ironically... That which I feel invited to sell doesn't feel like it's coming at a great cost to me to offload it. It feels more like a relief. And I think what I'm being invited to sell or to liquidate, as it were, is some of my projects for my own life. That this idea that I have consciously and unconsciously staked my life on seeing a few projects through, Mm -hmm. for example— a huge part related to mothering. And I've really had this question in my body of really, really isn't the gospel blessed is she whose desires are fulfilled, Mm. especially blessed is she who gets to have as many children as she wants to and as large of a family as she could ever dream of. 
that on some level deeper than my consciousness has been some version of the gospel for me. And to be honest, to liquidate that understanding of the gospel, to have an exposure to the life of God that is so compelling that I actually no longer believe that blessed is she, you know, as many children as she wants to, though that might be a state of blessing for her. That is not the ultimate expression of blessing. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I'm seeing it in the scripture, blessed is she upon whom the kingdom of God comes, upon whom the shared life of the Trinity comes. And all of a sudden the relief of not having to see the projects of my life through. It's so leavening. I feel so much lighter. Mm. And I'm in this process. I'm still trying to understand. This is a huge part of kind of maybe part of the gospel that I've laid on the table that I'm really looking at. You know, it, it begs in the question, but what is the role of desire? What is the role of dreaming? How do we partner with God on these deep desires of our heart? What is the role of that in this gospel of the invitation into the life of the Trinity? So that's something I'm really exploring with God and intent on exploring and imagine it's going to be a long exploration. So I guess the first would be is that I feel the invitation to sell the projects mm -hmm. of my own life. And that is actually so relieving. That doesn't feel costly to me right now compared to what I'm exchanging it for. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for risking. But more than that, Sherry, thank you for risking your life on God. Thank you for giving him consent, your consent again and again to choose to say yes to the invitation to the narrow road. It's been really holy in our unseen life that we don't live publicly in the dailies to share this decade together and really the last 15 years intentionally of doing the work to excavate rather than build and relinquish. I think you said it very well and very beautifully. Quite a few projects that we were grasping with strong hold mm -hmm. and instead in exchange for coming to know a little bit more, a more beautiful God, the grasp is lightening mm -hmm. and we're finding more joy. Yes. Yes, Morgan. And I would say that that idea of joy, I think you and I both looked at each other several years ago and were aware that the ratio of joy to heaviness in our life was pretty upside down. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is part of our deliverance mm -hmm. out of that. Yes. I loved how you put it, the exposure to a beautiful God. Yes. Thank you for joining us. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a treasure that a woman and a man discovered in a field. And in their shared excitement, they sold everything they own to get enough money to buy that field and get that treasure. Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, we are asking for the more. Yes. We're asking to come to know you, to know your heart, to know your ways, your kingdom, your intentions more deeply than we've ever known. We ask that you would help us to see the treasure in the field. We ask that you would compel us to explore the depths and the riches in the full measure of who you are 
and what your kingdom has to offer that would compel us to loosen the grasp on everything that holds us back, the fear, the self-preservation, the independence, everything that's caused us to be reluctant to be all in. Yes, God. We ask that you would expose those places in us even today. Even one thing, Father, what's next? What's next? What do you want to show us? We invite your love. We invite your provision. We invite your care. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the gospel of life that is coming to us today. We give you our consent. Amen. Amen. If you enjoyed this and would like more podcasts and blogs and other resources to take this decade of excavation and go deeper, join us at becomegoodsoil.com. Thanks for listening.